And you're listening to Grow on the Go. And we are starting season seven today. That's wild. <laughs> Weird. I know. It still feels like a relatively new thing. It kind of does. And I was reflecting on, you know, starting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were all professional or trying to be, trying very hard to be. We've totally quit trying. Well, so I would argue that. Professionalism is creating content people want to hear or creating content that is in line with what's trendy because there are content trends. Excuse me while I put on my marketer hat. And um, one thing that people like is seeing like how the sausage is made. So <laughs> right. like when you leave mistakes in, um, I, I that's what I like when I'm consuming content. So, well, and I think it's, true when you speak to a live audience too I used to really work to be you know really have my act together and I'd be so upset with myself if I you know forgot a word or lost my place in my notes or whatever and the reality is people like people who are real Mm -hmm. better than people who are perfect anytime I've I've emceed anything um (laughs) I'm exactly who I am out there as I am in general um I remember once I was emceeing the concert of hope and I looked up and then I lost my spot in my notes and kind of without missing a beat, like keeping my sentence rhythm the same, I went and I lost my place in my notes. So I'm just going to keep talking until I find it again. Oh, there it is. Thank you for going on that journey with me. (laughs) (laughs) And people loved it. Yeah, they do. They do. So, you know, now we don't freak out if, you know, we used to edit out, you know, sounds of planes flying overhead or a lawnmower noise or whatever. And now, I mean, (laughs) there was the time that, you know, Levi just about lost his life. And we're like, well, (laughs) because he was he was choking and I'm like holding his muzzle shut, trying to keep him quiet. (laughs) And my guest felt the need to say, by the way, that's not me making those (laughs) horrific noises. (laughs) I was not there for that. No, you weren't. I think you were in Australia. Anyway, um, we're back and we're happy to be back. And today I've called this podcast the Cherished Challenge. And I'm actually looking at your notes and you've written it, the Cherished Challenge. Oh, True enough, I see that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just in keeping with, you know, not being perfect. <laughs> <laughs> not being totally polished, yeah. Um, I have been doing some research lately on attachment theory. Mm. My husband, Randy, and I speak, your dad, and yeah, I. Um, I've met him, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. We, we speak at marriage conferences, and uh, I'm developing some new content, and... Um, have been reading about attachment theory, which is really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot to do with um, how we, why we actually have arguments Mm -hmm. and how we can recover from them. So uh, can you think of a really stupid argument you've had with your husband, Scott? Yes. So (laughs) Scott and I really don't argue much, um, particularly right now because we're... (laughs) on opposite sides of the planet. Um, But when we have been in the same place, um, the closest we've really come to arguments 
is usually about wrestling, very differing opinions on wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know. <sighs> like, should Hulk Hogan be allowed to return to WWE and... okay yeah wow those okay well and there's Mm -hmm. like there's there's reasonable things to like chat about there like he made some really racist comments and that's why he anyway okay it's not as mundane as it seems but it is also completely inconsequential to our everyday lives so when we argue about i mean one (laughs) dust up we got in early uh the beginning of covid um, we had a really nice evening together, and we all thought the evening was going to end even better. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Randy came upstairs. Now that we have an empty nest, we each have our own bathroom, and he found some of my art stuff in his sink. Mm. And I tend to use his sink because his bathroom is closer to my art studio. Yeah. I don't anymore. I haven't since that day. Because... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's dumb things, usually, that get us going. <clears throat> But what I've learned with attachment theory is that most fights between married couples and any two people who really matter to each other mm-hmm. are really protests over emotional disconnection. So, you know, anger, criticism and demands that we make of each other are really cries to be cherished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the word cherish, cherish. And one of the definitions I found is to protect and care for someone lovingly. So cherishing can happen between a parent, a, par- a parent and a child, siblings or friends. Our partner, if we're married, is our safe place in life. They're our emotional home. And so losing connection with that person threatens our security mm-hmm. and our well-being. And now that may sound really quite dramatic, but it's actually perfectly legitimate. The science of attachment teaches us that from the cradle to the grave, Our need to emotionally connect with those closest to us is the emotional priority, even over food. When a baby howls until her mother picks her up and cuddles her, this is what's going on. Even if no, uh, no food or other comfort is offered, that little one demands emotional connection. They need to be held. They need to be cherished. So, we get a little bit more subtle about this as adults, but but not actually that much. I have not. <laughs> I have not gotten any more subtle. Well, you're actually not that subtle about anything. No, really. no. Subtlety <clears throat> is not my strong suit. <laughs> not generally, no. I do everything loudly. <laughs> if we have a healthy, secure relationship with our loved one, a negative interaction with them is just a blip on the radar screen. We can quickly talk ourselves down. Or we could even ask our loved one to just reassure us that our, our connection is still okay. I ask my boss to do that all the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So how does that go? If I get feedback, and I pride myself in being... You've seen me take feedback. Yeah. I'm really good at you it. You are. Um, I may get emotional, but I do not... I work really hard not to get defensive, and mm-hmm. I do not lash out. Mm-hmm. However, um, especially, like... With when you've given me feedback, I know you love me, mm-hmm. and I know you're coming from a place of love. It's a little different with someone I haven't spent my entire life with. So um, I'll say to my boss, like, "Thank you for the feedback." After we've talked about it and unpacked right. it, thank you for the feedback. Can you do me a favor? Can you reassure me that you have faith I can do my job well, or something like that? Right. Like, can you just reassure me that like you believe in me? And yeah, like you're generally not worried about 
my capability. Yeah, that's extremely emotionally mature. <laughs> I have to be. <laughs> my brain is an absolute hellscape. <laughs> if I gave in to every terrible thought I had, I would, I would set myself on fire. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay, so we talked about what happens if you know you're not. Or you, you you are in a good place, right? You, mm-hmm. you talk yourself down. You could ask your loved one to reassure you that you're still okay. Um, but if we're not in a good place in our relationship, we can go into what some neuroscientists call primal panic. Mm-hmm. And that's when an alarm goes off in our amygdala. And guess what happens next? Um, you go into fight or flight. Fight, yes. flight, freeze, tend, befriend. There's like a, actually a bunch. but Okay, but typically we go into fight or flight mm-hmm. if we're yeah that's where our amygdala um sends us and, and and freeze freeze can can kind of be related to flight at least as it comes as, as it um applies to attachment theory mm-hmm. um unfortunately those primal reactions that our lizard brains demand in that first nanosecond that we we experience that relational uncertainty th- those those things are totally counterproductive, what, what our brain tells us to do. There, there are three patterns of behavior between a couple or a couple of friends that come out of fight or flight, and they're all very damaging to intimacy. Knowingly or not, uh, King David describes primal panic very well in Psalm 38.10 when he says, My heart pounds, my strength fails me, even the light has gone from my eyes. Like, we literally can't see straight. Yeah. We can't find words. And yeah. the words we do find are, are usually not very helpful ones. My face gets, it feel, my face feels hot. Oh, when I go, I have such a physical reaction. I can feel it. I'm wow. like, oh, I'm not good. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> no. actually kind of good in a way because you know you're, you should shut up and yeah. just get yourself yeah. together. I, yeah. Well, mm. for me, it's, I can't shut up. I need to go. <laughs> I need to yeah. go elsewhere and yeah, I need, I need to explode so I can come back and be a person. Yeah. <laughs> so when we go into primal panic, we either choose fight or flight. And when I say choose, we really don't choose. Choosing implies reasoning and our reactions in these situations are so instinctual that unless we have a strategy for that situation, like you, you go away to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, we are way far down the road of fight or flight before we even know what happened. And if our limbic brain sends us into fight in a relationship, we'll become demanding and critical or sometimes clingy. In our hearts, we're crying, notice me, be with me, I need you. If we go into uh, into flight, we withdraw and detach. And in this place, our hearts say something like, I won't let you hurt me. I will tune you out. I need to stay in control. So... If you're in the middle of conflict, you were just saying you, you think you most often go into flight rather than fight? Well, no. Hmm. My, my natural reaction is mm-hmm. fight. Okay. But I know that I cannot be productive, and so I choose flight. Okay. Um, until I can get out of the limbic brain. Okay. Um, so... It may sound like one of these strategies is holier than the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they're not because any combination of these panic modes between the two two people can become a destructive pattern over time. And they actually have the opposite effect 
to our subconscious intent to restore our relationship. They actually set up a vicious downward spiral of insecurity that drives us further apart. So here's how it happens. One partner could be any type of close relationship, unknowingly bumps a sore spot on the other's soul. It might be a comment about his driving or her coming home late for dinner. The trigger might actually go back to our home of origin or a previous relationship or some other some traumatic event that happened earlier in, in, in the present relationship. But regardless, the spot is bumped, usually accidentally or, or at least without an intent to wound. And then the offended person feels this jarring in their heart, right? Mm. This, this like screech, something's wrong. And they suddenly don't feel very sure of their connection with the person who's their emotional home. The intimacy with the partner that they need is threatened. And suddenly the emotional temperature in the room drops about 10 degrees. And the, the offending partner is like, what just happened? So here's an example from our recent experience. Randy travels most of the summer speaking at youth camps. Um, it's been like this for most of our marriage. And often re-entry into normal routine is a bit bumpy for us. This summer, during one of our transitions, Randy was at home only two days before having to leave again. I was really looking forward to relaxing together and reconnecting. And I hope we'd be able to maybe take our paddle boards down to the river and later have dinner on a restaurant patio and other romantic things. Some of that happened, but Randy noticed some mechanical problems on both our truck and trailer that needed attention before they could be used again. It was the weekend, so sourcing parts turned out to be a bit tricky. And in the end, most of our not eating and not in bed hours were consumed by that. And I felt disappointed. I, I wanted us to have fun together. And I felt myself tilting toward fight. And of course, I, I know you can't control a mechanical breakdown, so it made no sense to complain about that. So what I said was that I wished he would book fewer camps so that there was more margin for the unexpected, which realistically we should expect <laughs> because we have older vehicles and this seems to happen every summer. Based on the disappointment I was feeling, I'm sure my suggestions sounded more to Randy like a demand. I mean, after 41 years of marriage, he knew I wasn't happy about how the weekend was going. But thankfully, he didn't really push back or retreat. And I was able to talk myself down. I, I decided I wasn't going to heap on to what he already had to deal with in his short time at home. And I didn't want to demand, uh, damage our connection. I wanted to salvage at least part of the day. I was able to choose fix instead of fight or flight. Now, here's how it could have gone and probably would have gone 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, okay, so I'm here's me. It's a good thing I don't require as much maintenance as the truck. You blow into town, get clean clothes, and blow out again before uh, you know the first thing about what I've been dealing with the past two weeks. I only get what's left over during the summer. Randy, obviously irritated, sulks, withdraws. We go out for dinner, <clears throat> excuse me, but I have very little to say to each other. We go to bed and I go to sleep with my back to him and he lies awake too upset to sleep. We both feel rejected, lonely, and insecure about our relationship. This is how we part, creating greater disconnection and damage to our relationship. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone else out there. My sore spot in this story is feeling like I'm a low priority 
it comes from early in our marriage when Randy really was a workaholic. It got, <clears throat> pardon me, my sore spot got bumped when my expectations for our short time together got preempted. So can you think of one of your sore spots, Kev? Yeah, one of my sore spots is feeling like my opinion, particularly if it's something that I have like a good knowledge, knowledge of. base of when mm-hmm. if I feel like my opinion isn't being heard or given any weight. Ah. Um, we mm, had yeah. an instance of this really recently mm. um, when we were out as a family. Uh, my sister is starting a business and I had some sort of marketing mm. ideas for her and I felt pretty brushed off. And she even mentioned that a mutual friend of ours had offered to help as well and I was like I'm right here yeah <laughs> that really hurt my feelings and I told her that and we it's fine um but yeah that's a button for me okay I get that I uh, anytime I feel disrespected yeah it, that's that's a button for me yeah. I'm not sure why but I probably need to analyze that a little bit so when our person or a person bumps our sore spot we really have these three paths we can take we can fight flight or fix In all of these scenarios, the offended partner is sad. They're scared. They're lonely. One of those, at least. So let's look at these three strategies and where each of them can take us. So in fight, um, when the offended partner opts to fight, it's because they feel hurt or vulnerable or they're demanding to be made to feel secure again. Desperate to get back to control Um, get back in control, they attack, accuse, and blame the other person. The aggressive approach is all about trying to get a response to their pain. Literally any response is better than none. In flight, the offended partner shuts down and withdraws from their partner out of a desire to protect themselves from the other's anger and the hurt of disconnection. They kind of check out of the relationship because they don't know how to fix it. And if this becomes a pattern, the fleeing person starts to become numb to their own emotions and it becomes more difficult to choose anything but flight. If you ask this individual what they're feeling, they'll often answer, I don't know. And they really don't. So what happens when both partners go into fight mode? This creates a pattern that Dr. Sue Johnson, who is the primary developer of emotionally focused therapy, calls find the bad guy. It starts when one partner feels hurt and vulnerable. They try to regain control by blaming the other for their hurt, which hurts their partner. And each partner's move escalates the confrontation. The conversation devolves into what happened and who's to blame. So can you think of a time when you played find the bad guy? Yeah. And how did that leave you feeling? Not good. Yeah. Okay, so identifying who's at fault never leads to resolution and reconnection. Restoring intimacy has to do with recognizing feelings, not who said or did what. In fact, no one has to be the bad guy. The pattern is the villain. We need to own the problem, which is the pattern, together. Now, maybe in your relationship, it's usually one who goes into fight and the other goes into flight. What happens then? Okay, let's say it's a couple. Let's say she catches him checking out another woman at a party. On the way home, she blasts him for this. Behind her anger, though, is fear that he no longer finds her attractive. 
her primal panic tells her he's going to leave her. She needs to hear that he loves and desires her. He realizes he blew it, but instead of reassuring her, his primal panic causes him to withdraw because he fears that she's disappointed in him and therefore he could lose her. The more he tries to dismiss or minimize her concerns, the lonelier she feels and the more she expresses that as anger in her desperation to get any kind of a response from him. She's fighting for her relationship, but she's doing it in a toxic way. Her anger prompts him to take another step back. So she's aggressing, he's retreating, and Johnson calls this the protest polka. <laughs> when the protest polka goes on for too long, it often evolves into freeze and flee, the deadliest of the dances. And this is when both partners choose flight. If the person who initially goes into flight doesn't figure out how to feel and share emotions, the fighter eventually gives up trying to get a response. Both people lose hope and conclude they're the problem. They're unlovable. Often, the fighter chooses to physically leave the relationship that the other person seems to have already left emotionally. So I don't know. Do any of these patterns sound familiar? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Kevis chicken is nodding her head. So how can we avoid them? And how can we avoid them? I mean, always, but especially in our most important relationships. How can we choose fix instead of fight or flight when our intimacy feels threatened? We can begin by identifying our primal panic pattern. Primal panic patterns say that three times. Fast. You wrote it. <laughs> when conflict begins or you feel that twinge of rejection because of something your person said or did, identify your feelings for what they are. A deep desire to keep your connection. Give your emotions a name. It could be fear, rejection, or loneliness. These are softer feelings than anger. And they're ones that are easier for your partner to respond to. It takes time to think about what you're feeling. And that, that time will give you the ability to put the brakes on what your lizard brain is telling you to do and enables you to choose something different. Telling your partner how you feel is an invitation for them to reassure you in your connection. You could even say, please tell or please show me what I mean to you. In a moment where you feel safe in the relationship, it would be good to have a conversation about what triggers each of you. The more profound or deeply rooted these sore spots are, the harder they are to talk about. You may have never talked about them before. I've got a friend who has a very successful husband. Money is not in short supply, but he never bought her jewelry, even knowing that she really loves it. Even her engagement ring wasn't really much more than an industrial chip. <laughs> and it really hurt her that he was so cheap with something that really meant a lot to her. After a lot of unproductive fights about this, he finally was able to reveal a deep wound she knew nothing about. Before he met her, he'd fallen in love with a woman who he loved deeply. And he showed her his love by covering her with sparkly things, lots and lots of expensive jewelry. And she broke his heart and deeply humiliated him as well. It wasn't rational, but then our hearts seldom are. 
But he believed deep down that if he bought his wife jewelry, she would leave him. Our sore spots are often linked to our deepest fears. So that's why it's so important that we, we reveal our sore spots to each other. While you're figuring out your patterns and sore spots, it might be helpful to dissect a recent argument and analyze what you each did to escalate it. And you need to speak for yourself. <laughs> Don't tell your partner what they're doing to escalate it. When we talk about our emotions too, we, we really need to respect the risk that the other person is taking. And that's not easy when you feel vulnerable. The next thing you can do is to deliberately create moments of intimacy. We can build on the foundation of safety we've established by learning to articulate our feelings and our sore spots. And now we can build on that by sharing our heart needs with each other. Christian partners may actually have a leg up here because most of us have learned to be vulnerable in prayer. We already have practice in sharing what we need with someone we love. We open our most fragile places to God and experience comfort and connection with Him. We can use that same pattern to help us connect deeply with the person we love. As we share with each other, we can use sustained eye contact and meaningful touch to deepen the intimacy of this moment. Now, I've called this the Cherish Challenge because I've used the word cherish as an acronym. You know me and my acronyms. <laughs> um, to help us remember what we can do to fix our relationship instead of moving into fight or flight when our sore spots get bumped. Okay, so here's the acronym. C is care. Care for your person's feelings, even when they don't seem rational. The emotions are real, whether they make sense to you or not, right? <clears throat> H is to hear your partner's attempts to reach out to you, even when they don't do it in a way that you want to hear them. E is engage. Engage with the other person and stay open, even when you feel insecure. Resist the urge to shut down. R is to reach out with meaningful touch. Even in a friendship or between siblings, a hand on the shoulder just means so much. This quick note, mm -hmm. this does depend on the person to some extent. Mm -hmm. Some people just really don't like being touched. Right, okay. And if you know that's true about that person, that's maybe, not the right way maybe to skip, up, skip that step. Yeah. Okay, got it. I is identify and name your own emotions so that they don't overwhelm you. This is the step that takes you out of the limbic brain so that you can act intentionally instead of reactively. S, send clear messages of reassurance and comfort. H, hold your person's gaze. Lingering eye contact is a powerful way to communicate value. It conveys that we've chosen to make them the focus of our attention, and it has the added benefit of increasing our likelihood of understanding each other. So that's the cherished challenge, understanding our feelings and sharing with each other when we feel our intimacy threatened, and then deliberately using the tools of the cherish, of, of the word cherish, the acronym, to reestablish connection. So we're almost done here, but I want to just remind you to turn in for our first share show of the season next week. We'll be talking about Jesus' strategy for coping with anxiety and fear. Nice. <laughs> Everyone has strategies on that, including Jesus. Um, so that's it for us today on Grow on the Go. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Or, of course, you can listen anytime using the My Joy Radio app. 
Thank you so much for listening to Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com. 